Welcome to the Driving Better Business podcast, celebrating women working in transport, fleet management and road safety. Delighted that with me today is Lorna McAteer, who's the fleet manager for National Grid. Lorna, a really warm welcome uh, to the Driving Better Business podcast. Now, when we hear the title fleet manager, it conjures up phrases like planning, managing, coordinating drivers, vehicles, procurement, utilisation, and then there's maintenance and repair, a whole host of things. What does a normal week look like for you? Is there a normal week? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. No, I don't think there is a normal week. So hi there. I think even if I just take today as an example, I've gone from company car orders through to consultation papers, through to reporting for various um, things out there that we've signed up to, UEV 100s and everything else. I've gone into what's next on our responsible business charter through to strategic direction and planning for um, the next couple of years. And I'm reading through CVs because I've got a current vacancy at the moment. So there is no normal week and it really does just depend on when the phone rings and what that query is at the other side of it. Excellent. Well, um, your knowledge around fleet management is is phenomenal. Um, And in particular, telematics. so where is the learning on telematics in particular come from? Was it was it on the job um, or was it somewhere special you went to get that kind of knowledge? Um, so I didn't fall into fleet in your traditional way that a lot of people do. So, in fact, I'm not sure if there is a traditional way of falling hmm. into fleet. You kind of end up there one way or another. Um, I used to be an IT project manager. So actually, all of my background and early career was data systems, coding. I didn't quite program, but kind of got there so a lot of my knowledge was already in that digital space so I picked up um, telemetry projects so what Mm -hmm. I had to do was look at some carbon reduction stuff I was kind of filling a gap in terms of projects I'd got and said oh we've given some money over here to fleet go and see what they're up to and how they're spending it for us and it was telemetry and carbon reduction so I literally got involved that way round, and because of my understanding of how computers work for want of a better description it made it so much easier and I picked it I was one of the first at that point in time that went with a one box solution instead of the two box solutions that were out there at that point in time and I remember going away to a session with my colleague that I kind of revered you know is up there on this pedestal and we got to the end of this meeting on data and language in vehicles and black boxes And at the end of it, he asked me if I understood what was going on. I went, yeah, everything. Why? And he went, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And you suddenly realise that what you've got is a different skill set. And it's just as valid. Even now I get asked how I got into fleet and why do you get there from IT? And it's like, well, Well, over half of a car is a computer now. It's actually a logical step when you think about it. Well, absolutely. Um, And and that's a really interesting point. So at the moment, there's some really focused discussions about electric vehicles, pros and cons. um, And there are also things that businesses need to consider when changing their fleet and looking at um, electric vehicles and other systems that uh, are on Um, cars and vans nowadays so what are your thoughts on how this change can be managed with all this technology that's around it's it's an interesting one because with that it's I guess I've got that project management skill set that's inherently there now as well so you look at all of it very differently you look at where the legislation's coming down you look at what's going to happen to you next I guess I'm always in the what's next space Mm. so with that I'm always questioning what have I got today what do I need tomorrow and how do I get there 
and it's putting that planning into it and understanding what the barriers are that people are going to have to overcome and how you move that through in each of those. Is it a transition and you've got a handful of people that you need to deal with? Is it something you've got to do immediately because actually your company is one of those that wants to promote this as a product themselves? So you need to understand what each company does, what's driving it forward. And therefore, you can get in on that messaging. And once you understand that yourself and how your fleets are used, it makes it easier for you to talk to all the other people in the company to make sure you're all heading in the same direction. And that's the key thing. It's getting in the right direction. Yeah, I, and you've mentioned about um, talking to others in the company. So National Grid, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, it not it one of the last, uh, the world's largest publicly listed utility companies? Um, and it oh. operates, what, 22,000 vehicles, I think I read, in a mixed fleet. So yes, there's about 10,000 vehicles. Yeah, there's about 10,000 vehicles over in the US. And right. again, the same over here now that we've bought the Western Power and that's part yeah. of it now. So we've got the distribution business as well as the transmission business. So yeah, quite a large mixed fleet. Yeah, and ensuring safety and compliance standards are being met in something that large. Firstly, it's a huge priority and must be quite difficult to manage. So how, how crucial is the internal collaboration to achieve that? Oh, it's absolutely crucial because some things are easier. So we've got some unionized areas as well of that business. So some things are easier in terms of when you think of O license and what you need to do for those heavier vehicles, it's actually quite clear cut. It's black and white. You follow the rule or you don't kind of thing. So that makes those discussions really easy. It's when you're in those more calm, more emotive side of things that make things just that little bit more of a challenge. And everyone has a different opinion as well. We all drive. So everybody has an opinion of how you should manage a, a car fleet. And it's working out then how you interact with all those business units, how you interact with the safety teams. Because as a utility, safety is absolutely critical to us for all sorts of other reasons. We're dealing with high voltage stuff all the time. So making sure that that is almost inherent in our DNA, that we look at what we do when we do it, when it comes to our vehicles as well. So it's having that transcend all the way through your business. So safety and compliance is absolutely key for us. It was a real problem during COVID as well, when we were Mm -hmm. trying to put new vehicles out there So getting the electric cars out when you've got a different technology and you couldn't do your usual on the drive training. Yeah. We touched on safety earlier and vehicles come with a range of safety systems. Um, So how beneficial are these systems in reducing the risk for national grid for their people that drive? You have to think of safety systems as they're a tool and a guide. That's one of the things that I'm very keen to get through to people. They're a guide for you as the driver. They're a prompt. And safety systems, therefore, are absolutely critical. They're needed out there. Where you've got a challenge with drivers is some vehicles now have got them and they're slightly more aggressive out there. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you educate your drivers that that lane departure does this for this reason, but you can override it if you've got to move out beyond that bike? You know, there's all sorts of things that you need to understand what you can do and how you can do it. Um, I think there are some challenges with some of those systems, if I'm being brutally honest, and as much of a, as I'm an advocate for them, there are some bits I think mm, that might just be a little bit too aggressive. 
So when your sensors get dirty on the vehicles, for example, other shadows play in and then your vehicle will anchor up. And if you're not prepared for it and you're slow manoeuvring, reversing into your driveway, for example, that anchoring up might actually jar your wrist on that steering wheel. So it's having a look at things in a very different way and just making sure your drivers are comfortable with their vehicles because ultimately they're the ones in control of it. They're the ones that take that risk. It's their responsibility. Yeah. You know, I actually hadn't thought of that angle about keeping the sensors um, clean and, and tidy. You'd think that that would be a natural thing, but you're quite right. We don't, my, my parking sensors probably haven't been cleaned in a million years. Um, luckily, I don't need them to park, which is really good, although some would disagree if they could see my parking. But um, with the safety systems, you mentioned something really important there about educating the drivers. And I don't think there's enough education and information out there for drivers to understand A, the safety system they have available to them and be actually how they need to work with them because these are assistance systems they don't do it for you they're there to assist the driver where do people get that information what how what would you do and so we try where we can to impart that one of the things we also do in um our handbooks and everything else is we ensure drivers read the handbooks that come with their vehicles. So normally you'd have your handover to start with, you'd go through most of that, you'd familiarize with all the controls and the basics that you do out there. And then you get into the more detailed stuff. The problem is we don't always know what comes on these vehicles now. Mm, and especially yeah. with the electric ones and the over the system updates, some things are coming down that switch something else on or turn something else off. So it's trying to keep up to date with it. And the guidance we give to a lot of our drivers is just keep reading those updates, keep reading that because every vehicle is different. And my fleet is made up of so many different vehicles. I can't actually as an individual, tell all of my drivers, right, on your vehicle, you have this, and on your vehicle, you have this, which is why I come back to that point that ultimately, it's still the driver's responsibility, and that's the bit we communicate yeah. to them. It's yeah. your responsibility to familiarise yourself with your vehicle and make sure you understand how it works. And of course, we're seeing it now with the weather. It's raining so much, and my car the other day turned around and said, I can't actually give you any assistance because I can't see and handed over to me and when you're stuck on a motorway yeah when you're you're stuck between junctions on a motorway you can't pull over and wait for the rain to stop yeah just gotta slow down and do it yourself again yeah and that's a really good reminder that actually these things are there to assist us not to do it for us um are there systems that trying to find that balance between what we need now and what we may need in the future um is there particular systems that you think are essential now that will see us through to the future or do you think people should be looking to the future for things like um, lane keep assist Um, because that's reliant on so many other things to be in the right place to actually help the technology work yeah it's also reliant on the fact that there are white lines on the road that are clearly marked so when you look at the roadworks we've got the temporary movements that we've got the potholes that we've got actually the highway itself isn't helping us when you move into these vehicles and the more advanced technology on it and the one thing I'm actually petrified it's horrible to say isn't it I'm actually petrified about the autonomous vehicles and the automated driving Mm. the reason I say that is I think of them as being a bit like airplanes you have airplanes your pilots still have to be trained even though the plane itself does the autopilot and does it for you and when we've got these vehicles Even now, when you have a vehicle beep at you, you're distracted trying to work out why it's beeped at you. 
Yeah. And you try yeah. to understand what it is. And the more the vehicle drives for you, the less you drive yourself. So I, I love it when you get these companies out there going, yeah, but what about the blame game? And when you've got somebody driving this and it doesn't matter because, you know, the, the human can take over when the computer doesn't know what it's doing. It's like, well, not if the human's reading a book because the car's been driving for them or not if the human's actually forgotten how to respond in a skid or anything else that's going on. Mm. We still need to make sure our drivers know how to drive. Absolutely. And there is perceived thinking that says if we're not expecting drivers to actually be involved in the driving, when it comes to them needing to be, they won't be ready to actually pick up the reins and drive again. So this Absolutely. Is it's really quite difficult in that, that, that space that we've got between sort of manual driving to fully automated where there's that gap in the middle where we're expected to have that half and half world that to me is quite that's where the, the risk is at the moment um, and that's why I see it as well yeah because yeah. you you've got that mixed messaging in the sales techniques yeah it's great because actually if you're got mobility issues and you need to get in this vehicle this vehicle can turn mm. up and it can take you there it can do this it's like great but then you can't be that driver that takes over when something goes wrong. Yeah. And one of the things that we've seen at the moment as well is that um, when people are driving as part of their job, they don't see that as a, a skill or the vehicle as the tool that they're using. So they don't see themselves as professional drivers. It's just what they do to get to their jobs. So if, if, if the vehicle isn't seen as the workplace at the moment, when we come on to assisted vehicles and fully autonomous, is that it's going to be seen as less of something that you do that's a tool and a skill and more of the workplace in which you don't have to drive, but you can do other work. How do we get around that? <laughs> I don't honestly know. I have no answers to that one. And I think that transition as well. I, I, was, I sat in on a review for another vehicle and they were talking about creating these vehicles that were on mobile workspace, the electric ones. Mm. And we pointed out to them, well, that's great. But don't forget what you've now got is this bright light beacon on a charging point that's a captive audience for anybody who wants to come and smash the windscreen for you mm. because you're advertising that you're sitting in there on your laptop working away quite happily which are all good things yeah yeah but actually there is another lens now you, you've now got an advertising beacon saying hey i'm over here with an expensive piece of kit yeah yeah How all do these you manage that safety? Risks. yeah exactly additional risks that we haven't considered in the past yeah, fascinating. Um, okay, so these are really hot topics. So another thing that I know that you're involved in is um, Fleet News webinars that happen monthly, and these also consider things that are hot topics. What's been going on there? So yeah, I, I as you said, I'm on on a lot of webinars. So one of them that I do is Fleet News at ten. So Fleet News run it. It's the last Friday of every month at ten o'clock. There's a whole panel of us on there, fleet managers, um, Paul from. AFP as well as the chair and literally we pick up any hot topic whether that's the latest legislation that's coming through so one thing most people don't realize is the block exemption rules have gone through and been ratified so how does that affect fleet managers what does that mean so it can be anything from that kind of detail of legislation all the way through to advice on how to charge the vehicles because you've got some problems coming through at the moment or supply chain issues that we're seeing, the challenges in the insurance market at the moment and how they're adapting or not, as the case may be, 
to this transition of electric vehicles and zero emission vehicles going forward. So that, se that session is really good. And I think some Fridays, it actually turns into more of a, a therapy type session because we're all kind of <laughs> yes. in the same boat going, thank goodness, it's not just me that's having these problems. And, you know, it is good to talk. It is good to discuss. Um, and that's why we're really keen uh, within the Driving for Better Business programme to, to share that learning and that good practice because then we can all be part of the solution, which would be brilliant. Um, we can't know it all at the moment. It's such I, a challenge out there. It's moving so fast. Yeah. We do have to reach out to people and put an arm around each other and go, it's all right, I'm here. I'm having the same problem. Let's see how we can figure it out. Let's have a coffee. Let's do more of that. Laura, it's been a hugely enjoyable and insightful interview today. To finish, what top three qualities do you think make a good fleet manager? Oh, wow. Now, there's there's a challenging question. Um, I think for me, the first one, especially in this industry at the moment, is patience and flexibility. Combination of the two. Flexibility because you need to be open to new ideas, new skill sets coming in, different offerings from people, innovation. Patience because not everybody can move at the same time. Not everybody wants to move at the same time. So you need both of those to be able to make a change three qualities um have a vision so one of the things i'm always talking about when i'm out there is the end goal know where you're going and then all the bits that are needed to do that so basically the plan have your plan have your vision because then you'll bring your teams along with you and you'll bring everybody else along with you they'll understand how you're going to get to that goal even if it doesn't seem today like it's achievable you can plan mm -hmm. your way towards it and then finally i think for me it's communication always has been and always will be but it's not just being able to talk as we are right now it's about listening and listening to everyone as I said we're moving so fast in this industry at the moment everyone has a valid opinion on what's going on out there and we need to be able to listen to other people because as much yeah. as we've just talked about automated driving and autonomous vehicles scares the life out of me actually if I listen more and more to how it can work then maybe I'll change my opinion and can see a way forward and how we can adapt through it. Hmm. Brilliant. Thanks, Lorna. It's been a huge pleasure talking to you today. Um, if you'd like to hear more podcasts on the Driving for Better Business uh, Women in Transport podcast sessions, go to the website, drivingforbetterbusiness.com. Lorna, let's talk some more because I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.